It is October 5th. It's Tuesday. It must be Tuesday because you're there and I'm here. Welcome to the Richie Allen Radio Show. I've got some very interesting things to discuss with you. As usual, if you'd like to get involved, do so through my website, richieallen.co.uk. The Richie Allen Show is the world's most popular independent news radio show. Listen on demand via your regular podcast provider. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now it's you and me. I'm flying solo this afternoon. It's just the two of us. We can make it if we try. But as I said, you can go to the website to comment. It says comment live on the menu bar. Drop me a message. Give us your opinions. Just give us your opinions on anything and I'll read them out as I go along. Should be with you for at least 90 minutes, probably more. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from BBG Towers, the only Salford landmark that is visible from the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, enough of that old crap, Baldy. Fair enough. I hear you loud and clear. So I do. Thanks to everybody who phoned in last night. Good phone in. Fortnightly as a rule. That's a promise. Every fortnight as a rule. Somebody winged into Podomatic to leave a comment. Somebody called Benjamin McIntosh. That's a great name. Benjamin McIntosh. That's a power name. It's not as good as Max Power or Trent Steele, but it's a good name, Benjamin McIntosh. I think QC, I think, Barrister. Anyway, he had a good whinge, so he did, about me breaking the rules. A good moan, because a caller managed to get through a caller who was on the previous week. He could have only been referring to Bernie from Warrington, So he called me out for breaking my own rules. Benjamin! You dipstick! What? You dipstick! Listen and I tell you, I don't screen the phone calls. Who do you think I am? I don't have a producer or an editor. There isn't a gallery. There isn't a control booth. It's just me. This is why I ask people before the show, if you got on last week or the week before... Give us a break and let somebody else come on. I ask because I can't screen. All right, Benjamin? You dipstick. Yes. He's a good lad, Benjamin. He's a good lad. Yes, every two weeks the phone-ins. Okie doke. Now, Eamon, you're making a point to John there. Let's move on. This is good. This afternoon, the whistleblower, Frances Haugen. Do you believe she's really a whistleblower? I don't know. She worked for Facebook at one time and other social media companies. She was a former product manager on Facebook's civic integrity team. That sounds like when you call bin men waste management technicians, doesn't it? Do you remember when that began? Remember when people started to give themselves highfalutin titles, do you remember? (laughs) For basic jobs. I've always been proud of the jobs I've done over the years. My formative years, I pushed a sweeping brush around Quinsworth. And I worked for a lovely Dublin man called Mr. Jim Farnham. We called him Mr. Farnham. When I was asked what did I do, I didn't say that I was a floor management technician. 
I just push the broom around. That's what I said. What do you do at the weekends, Richie? I push a sweeping brush around Queensworth, you know. What do you get for that? One seventy-five an hour. And I have to give half of it to me, Mammy. So, so that's... I, I don't know. A former product manager on Facebook Civic Integrity Team. Piss off. She's a geek, Frances Haugen. A geek. And nothing but a geek. So help her God. Now, she's been at uh, Capitol Hill testifying about internet safety and the place that Facebook, the part that Facebook should be playing in internet safety, but it isn't. Oh, Facebook's a very dangerous place. Let's have a little bit of a listen to Francis Haugen, the whistleblower. My name is Francis Haugen. I used to work at Facebook. I joined Facebook because I think Facebook has the potential to bring out the best in us. But I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. Yesterday, we saw Facebook get taken off the internet. I don't know why it went down, but I know that for more than five hours, Facebook wasn't used to deepen divides, destabilize democracies, and make young girls and women feel bad about their bodies. Destabilize democracies and make women and girls feel bad about their bodies. It was nice that we didn't have six uh, For six hours, we got a break from the destabilization stabilization of democracies. <laughs> yeah, but sadly, during the six hours that Facebook was down, your country there, Francis Haugen, was probably bombing the shit out of some mullah somewhere in the Middle East using a using a drone to do it. Destabilizing democracies. Police. Anyway, she goes on. It also means that millions of small businesses weren't able to reach potential customers and countless photos of new babies weren't joyously celebrated by family and friends around the world. Countless new babies weren't joyously celebrated? Did you ever hear of email, love? Did you ever hear of email? Love, did you ever hear of email, I asked. Very simple. Take a picture of the baby, right, on the phone, then share it, use your email client, whatever it is, and email it to Auntie Doris over, over there in Westboro, over there, in Texas or wherever. Don't need Facebook to do all this stuff, you know. I believe in the potential of Facebook. We can have social media we enjoy that connects us without tearing our apart our democracy, putting our children in danger, and sowing ethnic violence around the world. Mm. We oh. can do better. We can do better. She went on a little bit. I have worked as a product manager at large tech companies since 2006 including Google, Pinterest, Yelp, and Facebook. My job has largely focused on algorithmic products like Google Plus Search and recommendation systems like the one that powers the Facebook newsfeed. Having worked on four different types of social networks, I understand how complex and nuanced these problems are. However, the choices being made inside of Facebook are disastrous for our children, for our public safety, for our privacy and for our democracy. And that is why we must demand Facebook make changes. During my time at Facebook, first working as the lead product manager for civic misinformation and later on counter espionage, 
I saw Facebook repeatedly encounter conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved these conflicts in favor of its own profits. The result has been more division, more harm, more lies, more threats, and more combat. In some cases, this, this dangerous online talk has led to actual violence. Dangerous online talk has led to actual violence. Keep that in mind. That harms and even kills people. This is not simply a matter of certain social media users being angry or unstable, or about one side being radicalized against the other. It is about Facebook choosing to grow at all costs, becoming an almost trillion dollar company by buying its profits with our safety. Buying its profits with our safety. Francis Haugen there, one-time Facebook employee, self-styled whistleblower. Something has got to be done, you know? Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Yes, won't somebody think of the children? Now, Baroness Kidron is chair of Five Rights Foundation. That is a charity that delivers children's rights for young people online. Simply stated, Baroness Kidron is an advocate for the rights of children to be safe when they are on the internet. Before you hear Baroness Kidron, you will hear Sky News presenter Sarah Jane Mee. Frances Haugen compared this moment, her being the whistleblower and taking Facebook's own report that it dismissed itself, but bringing it to a wider audience. Do you think this is social media's tobacco moment? She, she compared it to the point when we found out as a, as a public how harmful tobacco was to our health and governments took action. Do you feel this is powerful enough to be that kind of moment for social media platforms? I think it's been a long time coming. We've seen a number of scandals within Facebook. I mean, you know, we were all outraged about um, the 6th of January. We were all outraged um, about, um, um, you know, about data breaches. We've all been outraged about many things. But I think it's maybe the tipping point moment. And maybe it is that the 90% of UK parents who want Facebook to be regulated, who want it to be safe for the children, are going to be heard now by government who hold the keys, you know, to this regulatory piece. And I think that in Congress, what was interesting about what we just saw is this was bipartisan anger. And I think we do know that most of these companies, because it's broader than Facebook, but certainly Facebook reside in America. And what we need is US Congress to act. And I think what they were saying is they've got their act together. They will push aside their differences for this. And I do, I, I hear the echo of that statement. It will haunt a generation. I think it will haunt the generation of politicians who fail to act, as well as unfortunately haunt a generation of kids who've been subject to a really toxic world that really is not one they deserve. Mm, a really toxic world. I'd like to get Baroness Kidron's take on locking children into their homes, preventing them from playing with their friends, warning them that they are biological weapons that might end up blowing up in the faces of their grannies and granddads before we get into the toxic environment for children. I've believed for many years, and it's just my opinion, 
that Facebook and Twitter, let's bring Twitter in as well, right? Instagram, maybe. I know it's owned by Facebook, I know. But Facebook and Twitter predominantly were Trojan horses. They were designed to become what they became, if you understand where I'm going with this. And I've used the term before, they, they've been used to kettle people. They were allowed to grow massive at the expense of other companies that were doing the same, like Friends Reunited and other. There's many other channels like this, many other platforms, right? And I also believe that for the first 10 years anyway, they were allowed to be a free-for-all. And I think that was deliberate. Like when these things were dreamed up, and they were dreamed up by some very, very, very sinister people. The plan was, allow them to be a free-for-all for the first 10 years. Get everybody in the world signed up. Or, near as damn it, everyone. Near as damn it, right? Destroy the competition, as I said. And then, once you've got everybody in, and, and you've made these online places become almost like the, almost like the cyber town hall, or the, almost like a global town hall online where everyone goes to vent, to speak, to say what it is they want to say, but also to read what others are saying. Once we've established that hegemony, then we can reveal Facebook and Twitter to be what they are. And that is, and I've written about this and talked about it for years, the Ministry of Truth. Once you've got everybody in there, and you've destroyed the competition, reveal it for what it is. And notice that nobody is suggesting that we tear down these gigantic companies, Facebook and Twitter, and that we allow real competition flourish. That we allow lots and lots and lots of social media companies where people can go and say what it is they want to say. No, no, they're not doing that. They're saying, let's keep these massive companies as they are, but now let's introduce what we've always meant, introduce to those platforms what we've always meant them to be. Introduce to them the rules and regulations so that those platforms can then be what we always wanted them to be, which is the Ministry of Truth, because they've got total control over public discourse, don't they? That's why I've written about this and spoken about it to you many times. Social media was supposed to be a gift to the world, but really it was a Trojan horse. We were told we could connect and interact with one another, that this was unimaginable before. Speaking to one another, increase our visibility, access markets, swap information, connect with people at any time of the day or night in real time on the other side of the world. But it was a coup. Like I said, it was allowed to be a free-for-all for the first decade or 12 years, with very little by way of censorship and control. Let people get, get, get to like it. Let people get used to it. Get people dependent on it. Because, of course, it's highly addictive. And it was designed to be highly addictive. There was a woman on BBC Breakfast this morning. Who, I can't remember her name. She works in tech. And she said that her aim, by the time she's 60 is to delete her online presence. She is so addicted to checking every couple of minutes, checking Facebook, checking Twitter. So it was designed to be addictive. 
it was designed to be that um, to be in total control of public discourse and then it was designed then to take over in the way that we're seeing now where where it has become it has become that 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 global town hall that global town square that speaker's corner for the entire world it was a coup they've kettled people and it's it's eerily reminiscent i think of orwell's ministry of truth have you read 1984 you might have done it might be a long time since you read it i recommend you read it again because it doesn't spread truth. You've got this woman, Frances Haugen, talking about, you know, she worked in civic disinformation. That's what they're trying to sell to the world. You know, we want, we want to remove disinformation. We want to remove fake news. And we want to take whatever steps are necessary to do that. The steps, of course, will be censorship on steroids. We want to control exactly what it is you read and what it is you are allowed to say. And that's what it is. That's what it's become. But it doesn't spread truth. It spreads falsehoods and propaganda to keep you and anybody else who uses it in a perpetual state of fear. You, of course, have voiced up to it. If you didn't, or if you hadn't, you wouldn't be sitting here chatting with me today. That's what it is. Orwell's ministry introduced Newspeak to the population. Facebook and Twitter and social media have introduced Newspeak to the lexicon of a generation of people in the world today. I wrote about this recently. Hate speech, hate crime, white privilege, transphobia. This is newspeak. It basically limits people's ability to think for themselves. That's what Facebook and Twitter were always meant to be. Get everybody in the one place. Never break up those companies. Keep those companies intact. And then introduce the regulation to take total control over what people are exposed to, what they can and can't say, and ultimately you will condition people into towing the party line on whatever issue it is. That's what they do. And it's to me it's so obvious. Newspeak. Hands, face, space. Keep your distance. Don't kill granny. Protect the NHS. This is Newspeak. And it's come through social media. It's um, it, it's it's it really is a thing to behold, really. So that's where it's going. The UK government is currently working on something called the Online Harms Bill, and that's going to be the first major step in the UK towards destroying the independent media. It's coming and it's coming quick. It's nineteen minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show, live, of course, as usual from Salford. So much to talk about, and my great pal Spiro Skouras has sent me some interesting information, to say the least. I'll get into that in a few minutes' time. But first, I'm going to take a tune. It is the fifth uh, of October, 2021. I'm the BBG. And this is Elton John and Kiki D. I'm a poet, don't I know it? Kiki D and Elton John don't go breaking my heart on the Richie Allen Radio Show. 23 minutes it is past the hour. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Give a big shout out to my pal Spiro Skouras from activistpost.com. You'll find him on YouTube as well. He sent me this a bit earlier on. It's very important. 
Countless medical professionals across America are losing their careers over the vaccine mandates. Last year's heroes are now today's unemployed. Dr. Christopher Rake received his medical degree in 2004. His residency has been served at the Kaiser Foundation Hospital and the UCLA School of Medicine. He is certified in anesthesiology and has been on the American Board of Anesthesiology since 2010. In this clip, you will hear Dr. Christopher Rake being escorted from the University of California, Los Angeles Medical Facility, where he worked for 11 years, escorted out by masked men wearing suits and ID badges who appear to work at the hospital. Dr. Rake is being escorted out for refusing to roll up his sleeve. Listen to this here. It's a, it's a clip that's on Twitter. You'll find it if you go and look for Spiro on Twitter.com. Have a listen. This is the moment this guy is being escorted out because he won't have a job. I am being escorted out of uh, 200 Medical Plaza at Westwood, Santa Monica for standing up for freedom. Um, we've got uh, Edward Galvin here and Andrea Higgins, who are, say hi, sir. Uh, they are escorting me out of the building. What's your title, sir? Don't, don't come near me. What's your title? Don't come near me. Okay. And uh, this is what happens when you stand up for freedom and when you show up to work, uh, willing to work, despite being unvaccinated. And this is the price you have to pay sometimes. But what they don't realize is that I'm willing to go lose everything. Job, paycheck, freedom, even my life for this cause. I am Dr. Christopher Rake there. It's a dreadful thing to see that. I don't know that gentleman. It's dreadful to see him being escorted out of the hospital by a pair of goons, one of whom tells him to stay away from him. Masked goons because he won't take the jab. An anesthesiologist who's been working at the hospital for years and years. And Spiro went on to write to me. He writes to Spiro Skouras. The solution has officially become worse than the manufactured problem. These mandates will have a devastating impact across many institutions, professions and services that we rely on to maintain a civilised society. These are the people we call upon in our most desperate hour. What a dreadful thing. We're going to see it this winter with thousands, and by thousands I really should say tens of thousands, of social care and healthcare workers who will not have one of these jobs and who will be forced out of their jobs in this country. And that is going to devastate the lives of people who need doctors, nurses and social care workers this winter and the winter after that and the winter after that. And I believe in my bones that it's all by design. I can hear you. Tell us something we don't know, Richie. 27 minutes past five. Do drop me a message through the website. I will be reading your comments now in a few moments' time. So the Tory party conference then is going on in Manchester, just a couple of miles away from BBG Towers. A couple of things made me giggle today. I'm a bit of a, I'm a, a schoolboy. 
when it comes to my sense of humour, I do find things funny that others don't seem to find too funny. But I giggle at these things. A couple of things. LBC Radio's Nick Ferrari did a walk and talk interview with Commons leader Jacob Rees-Mogg. And, well, he asked him this hugely important question. Jacob Rees-Mogg, are you racist, misogynistic, scum? Master. I mean, that's journalism. That's that. That's top. That's first rate. Pulitzer Prize winning stuff. Jacob Rees-Mogg, are you racist, misogynistic, scum? Well, I, do you know that the Duke of Wellington? I didn't know him personally. You, you, know you, Duke, you didn't you know, know him. You might have been on street. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we weren't quite at school together. No. <laughs> uh, but the Duke of Wellington referred to the British Army as the scum of the world. And scum of the earth, he said. And he said, but look what we've made out of the scum. What, what fine men we have created. <laughs> Duke of Wellington said the British Army are the scum of the earth, but look what fine men we've created. Yeah, it's, it's a shame what went on in Ireland and India and the West Indies, but I won't get into that. And I think those of us who are proud to be Tory scum, look at what fine people we've been made by being Tories and by being educated by this great party and by following the footsteps of Margaret Thatcher and Boris Johnson. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not too fussed about... So um, you're Tory scum and proud? Oh, I don't care. I mean, we, we did have uh, somebody come and write scum on our front door at home. And my wife said, this is outrageous, it's shocking, they should have put Tory scum. <laughs> I mean, you're going to put it, you've got to get it right. I'll come back. I'll come, I'll come back with a felt. Oh, I, I, didn't think, I didn't think it was you. It didn't yeah. look like your handwriting. No, it's not like me, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Angela Rayner, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, you see, about a week ago referred to the Tories as scum. The scum, they're all scum, the Tories, said Angela Rayner. Uh, Shameless, the television show, by the way, Shameless was based on Angela Rayner's family. Totally chaffed-tastic, scallylicious Angela Rayner. You're all scum. Rhys Mogg was in fine form today. He was on LBC's rival station, Talk Radio, with the thinking man's bit of crumpet, Julia Hartley Brewer. And Jacob had a few choice words for the climate numpties called Insulate Britain. I think they're lunatics and fanatics. Tell us what you really think. And bad people. I mean, thinking that it is worth risking people's lives because you haven't even insulated your own home, that's the other problem. They are frightful humbugs. If they'd insulated... Well, there's one fellow, yeah. reported by The Sun, um, with which you have a certain link, um, that this chap let out all these properties and hadn't even insulated them. I mean, that's right. One of these dickheads who was gluing... He was found by The Sun newspaper. I don't have a lot of time for The Sun now, but one of these dipsticks that had been gluing his hands to the M25, they found out that he had a dozen or so properties that he lets out to people, probably charging them the moon and the stars to rent his properties, and this dickhead didn't insulate any of them. But yet he's perfectly prepared to back up traffic 72 miles up the M25 (laughs) because he wants the government to force insulate every home in the country so that we don't all die. Yes. I, mean, I think they're just awful. Uh, and taking this risk with people's lives is so irresponsible. And I'll be glad to, to tell you that the government is taking extra powers so that they can be removed. Though one of the great things about our country is that we are a country of law. And, <laughs> and anything that is not specifically illegal is legal. And it has been absolutely right that we should go down a proper legal process uh, to... Um, make sure the law is in place to stop these silly people doing their silly things. Drag them from the M25 and beat the ever-living granny out of them. 
even the grannies. No, don't beat anybody up. Just drag them out, put them in jail. That's what you should do to them. Anywho, Enid Blyton's estate were straight on to Talk Radio to tell Talk Radio to tell Jacob Rees-Mogg that Enid Blyton's estate wants her catchphrase back and pronto. They are frightful humbugs. What? They are frightful humbugs. I, don't you just love that, eh? There will be a time in the near future when, when those phrases will have disappeared. There won't be anybody left using them. Frightful. I, lo- I just love that. They are frightful humbugs. Frightful humbugs. Anybody who's ever read Blyton, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. On the same programme was Insulate Britain's Liam Norton. He's one of these activists. He walked off of Good Morning Britain ten days ago or something like that when he was outraged by the heavy-handed questioning of Alan Partridge himself, Richard Maidley. That's the guy, Liam Norton, he walked off the show. Anyway, he was on the same show today with Julia Hartley Brewer, and it was kind of revealing. He was on to discuss comments made by the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, a guy called Roger Hallam. Hallam was on a podcast called Unbreak the Planet. Yes, and he was asked about the roadblockers preventing ambulances getting to hospitals. Have a listen. What would you do in this situation if it was not an Insulate Britain protest, but a Roger Hallam protest in that circumstance? What would you do? I'd stay there. You would? Yeah. And if it were an ambulance and there was someone that could potentially die in there, would you stay there? Yeah. Dickhead. What we're talking about is the loss of people's pensions in the next 10 years, Mm -hmm. the loss of people's incomes, the mass migration of hundreds of millions of people, the indescribable injustice to people of colour in the global south (laughs) because of the collective selfishness of people in the north. The collective selfishness of you and me, dear listener, with our barbecues, with our central heating... Hey, hey, with our cars, our diesel cars, our collective selfishness is brutalising the poor in the third world, according to that bearded prick, Roger Hallam. Sure. Right. We're talking about the biggest crime in human history. Oh, mother of God. Impo- Please, if there is a God, can we say a prayer together? Shall we say a glory be to the Father? All of us now. Because I do believe in the power of prayer. I am not being in any way now, in any way, defamatory. It's not defamatory, is it? I'm not being blasphemous. I'm not. Trust me, I'm not. Let's say a glory be to the Father that I get the opportunity just once before I retire to interview a prize prick like Roger Hallam. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, yesterday, today. I can't remember. How does the rest of that go? Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Just give me five minutes with Roger Hallam, the madman, who told a podcast yesterday that if somebody is dying in the back of an ambulance, he wouldn't move out of the way. I might revisit my stance on non-violence, just for Roger Hallam. So he said this yesterday. Today, Insulate Britain's Liam Norton, different group, just as nutty, was on with Julia Hartley Brewer. She said, now, Liam, that's a bit mad now, isn't it? Allowing people to die in ambulances just so that you can save the planet? 
What did he say? Well, if you allow me the space, it's quite a difficult moral argument to make. Oh. But you know, um, it's not. Turing, it really isn't. It's a yes or a no, isn't it? It Turing in the imitation game. They they had to allow British soldiers to die because it was um, if they'd have stopped every single attack through cracking the Enigma code, the Nazis would have found out. Um, that they were cracking the code, so they had to allow people to So your to answer die. is yes. You do agree that it's if, if necessary, someone can die in the back of an ambulance and that would be justifiable morally to you because tackling the issue of insulating Britain is such an important moral issue for you. Is that right? <laughs> he said, you know, back in World War Two. We could have broken all the codes, but we didn't break all the codes because we didn't want the Germans to know about Enigma, so we allowed a few people die. You gotta break a few eggs. You gotta crack a few eggs to make an omelette, he said. And Julia Hartley Brewer said, in so many words, you're a bit of an idiot, right? Well, what I'm saying is that we're in this awful moral situation where our health service is going to collapse within a few decades. And they love the word collapse, these nutcases. Everything is going to collapse if we don't do what they tell us to do. And there won't be any hospitals to Within take Within a few decades? Home. OK. <laughs> right. Well, um, that's what Chatham House is talking about, Julia. And this is what I'm saying. You're playing a really dangerous game because in five... He threatens the presenter here. And I... I think I've lost my temper with a guest once, I think, in 20-odd years of doing my job... And uh, it wasn't Ken O'Keefe. I never lost my cool with Ken O'Keefe. It was with a politician. When I was on the radio in Spain, it was with a, a former Labour politician. I would have hammered him for what he's just about to say here. Warning, threatening Julia Hartley Brewer. This is what I'm saying. You're playing a really dangerous game because in five, ten years' yes. time, people that are taking your position mm -hmm. will be seen as traitors mm -hmm. because you're, you're helping destroy the future of this country. OK, I'm quite happy to be called a traitor by anybody, but I wouldn't let someone die in the back of an ambulance because of the cause that I cared about meant that I was sitting in the road in front of that ambulance trying to get to hospital. Go on, Julia. Go on, girl. You can call me any name you want under the sun. I couldn't I'm not care less. You, but I would, I'm still, not I would you, still know that I was I'm morally not, superior to you. I'm not calling you any names. I'm just saying how history you, you, will view you, you in five, just ten did. years' time. No, I'm saying how I, I, history I, will view you. No, I'm, 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 I'm perfectly happy to be judged by history, that conservatives Liam. Um, that at, conservatives that are at that conference knew about Insulate Britain. Insulate, insulate. But according to this dickhead... If, if we get to where he believes the world is going to go, where we're up to our earlobes in water, we're constantly putting out fires, the land is shrinking at a rate of knots, and everything else that they say will happen, there won't be any time to deal with the traitors, presumably, because you'll be too busy running for your life from, from the climate. Anyway, this got even worse, kind of. Julia, this isn't a cause. It's where you're confused. What is isn't it, it then? It's a physical reality. Have you seen the rain in, it in Italy at the moment? Getting like a year's worth of rain in a day. <laughs> the, the, you laugh, but the thing is, is like I you're do. facilitating the destruction of capitalism. Okay. I'm, God, I, I tell you what, I have a lot of responsibility for what goes on in this planet, don't I? No, but you're not taking responsibility. It weighs heavily. It weighs heavily on me. It weighs heavily on me. Um, you're playing a dangerous game, Julia. I'm... Okay, you're how, how am I playing a dangerous game. game, Liam? Because because is you're it, is it in a the more process dangerous of... game than, than gluing yourself to a road in front of an ambulance? I don't know. Yeah, yes, it is. 
It is. Because it's an existential yes, it battle is. for the future yeah. of the planet and the human race. Do you realise that actually majority of people in this country don't think that is the case? 80% of UK citizens accept there's an emergency. So you're in the minority there. They, no, well, no, po polling, yes, polling is a little bit questionable in this area. That, that guy, that guy, Liam Norton, might want to consider seeking professional help. And I, I do say that without trying to get a cheap laugh out of it. Because I told you, I think, on the programme before, some some months ago, an old friend of mine lost his first wife. Well, she committed suicide, his first wife. She was suffering from religious mania and eventually committed suicide. Was really, really into it. You know, biblical prophecies, revelation, everything. And was very, very, very ill. Some of these people are sounding extremely ill. You know, that maybe I should, shouldn't be laughing at them, maybe. So wrapped up in this, they appear to be like this guy. Doesn't sound right in the head, does he, really? And uh, I think if I'd have been doing that interview, just listening to it now again, because I grabbed it very quickly today, I think I might have closed it out very quickly. And I might have said to my producer, find somebody else, find another one of these climate evangelicals, because this lad doesn't sound like he's playing with a full deck. It's exactly 20, it's 19 minutes even, to the top of the hour. You're with the Richie Allen Show. Where else would you be? It is a Tuesday's programme, October 5th, 2021. I'll be back with you right soon, so I will. Lots to talk about. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! It sounds terrible. Yes! The picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously, ensignfilms.co.uk. You're listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Let me just adjust my microphone there. Am I not loud enough, am I? I think I am loud enough. I'm loud enough today. It's uh, time for your comments. Hey, before I get to your comments, the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, was at the uh, Conservative Party conference. I'm sure she's been there since Monday, since Sunday maybe. But she gave her address to the conference today. And she did, of course, talk about what might need to be done about these people, what might need to be done about these eco-warriors, Pretty Patel. And it is because of our commitment to putting the needs of the hard-working, often silent majority first, that I will not tolerate the so-called eco-warriors trampling over our way of life and draining police resources. <laughs> Their actions their actions over recent weeks have amounted to some of the most self-defeating environmental protests that this country has ever seen. The freedom to protest is a fundamental right our party will forever fight to uphold. But it must be within the law. Measures already going through Parliament will ensure that these criminals can be brought to justice for the disruption that they are causing. But we are going to go further 
to close down the legal loopholes exploited by these offenders. So today I can announce that we will also increase the maximum penalties for disruption of motorway, criminalise interference with key infrastructure such as roads, railways and our free press, and give the police and the courts new powers to deliver so that they can deal with the small minority of offenders intent on travelling around the country, causing disruption and misery to our communities. This Conservative government is taking the tough decisions needed to cut crime and to make our streets safe. Right, Pretty Patel there. Pretty Patel. What did Boris Johnson say when he was asked today about the eco-warriors? I think they're irresponsible crusties who are basically trying to, you know, stop people going about their, their, their days. The way the police and the whole criminal justice system... Hand- what did he call them again? I think they're irresponsible crusties who are basically trying to, you know, stop people going about their, their, their day's work. Yeah, irresponsible crusties, he called them. Irresponsible crusties. Something I wrote about today on, on the website, richieallen.co.uk. Check it out if you haven't checked it out already. I had a, an email from a listener today. I can't remember who it was, a female listener. And she said to me, Richie, have you not considered that, that Insulate Britain was set up just to, to bring down the full weight of the government on protests more generally. Well, I did make that point in my article today, but I would also make the point, these false flag things, if you want to call it a false flag thing, or problem reaction solution exercises, they work better when the activists themselves are genuine. And I believe, because I've seen no evidence to the contrary, that the likes of Liam Norton, who you heard speak to Julia Hartley Brewer a moment ago, and the likes of the people gluing themselves to the roads, those people are not actors. I hear these people speaking to Radio 5 Live. I hear them speaking to LBC. There is a religious fervour, probably using the wrong terminology there, to the things they say and the way they say them. I'm convinced they're genuine, but I agree that groups like Insulate Britain and and Extinction Rebellion were set up to do what I talk about in my article today, basically, and that is to to prepare the ground for how to deal with future protests and future civil disobedience when people finally wake up to the Great Reset Agenda as I have no doubt people finally will. There will come a time when they won't be able to, to, to deny what's happening. And at that stage, far more people than, I believe now, far more people than ever previously will take to the streets. And what you have today with this nonsense is you have, is you have Patel coming out, talking about how the law would target people likely to commit crime in the future. Conservative Party MP told the the BBC that prevention orders would give the courts the power to prevent an individual with a history of disruption or where there is intelligence suggesting they are likely to commit a criminal offence from attending particular protests. Listen to that again. This is beyond Orwellian, right? 
the courts would be able to look at an individual and say, that person has a history of disruption. We have intelligence, that person is likely to commit a criminal offence. Therefore, that person will be confined, presumably confined to their home or to their street on any given day. And let me tell you this, and I, I think you probably know this. When they say an individual with a history of disruption, that doesn't necessarily mean an individual who attended protests in London or in Glasgow or in Dublin previously. That might be a person who's, who, who was saying things or writing things or posting things on social media. This is social crediting, I suppose, in, in one sense. Pre-crime. This guy has got some very strong opinions about vaccines. Right, we know there's going to be a rally, or there's a rally planned for Friday in Trafalgar Square. Get over to this guy and confine him to his home. Because there's a good chance that he might break the law in London. So yes, I, while I believe the activists are, are genuine, I also believe that this is a very, very much a planned control scenario. All of these disruptive, chaotic scenes on the motorways, definitely planned to get the ire of the public and be Jesus, the public are screaming bloody murder over this in the UK. That's problem, reaction, solution. You create the problem, the reaction is get these people off the roads. They're putting lives in danger. The solution, surveillance and freedom limitation on steroids and Philip K. Dick's Minority Report. And we know that Boston Dynamics, we know in Silicon Valley, companies have already designed programmes that can look at any individual in society, artificial intelligence, and make a decision as to the likelihood of that person being a good or a bad citizen or, or committing a crime or not committing a crime. It's, these are strange times. I will be reading your comments when we come back after a tune from Robbie Williams. Yes, Robbie Williams then on the Richie Allen Radio Show, 11 minutes to the top of the hour. Lots to talk about still. Robbie Williams and Feel on the Richie Allen Radio Show, seven and a half minutes to six o'clock. It's a Tuesday's programme. Hi to Angela, who... Uh, reaching me through the website there. You can do that, by the way, richieallen.co.uk. It couldn't be easier. It, it says comment live, comment live, and off you go. I used to loathe Twitter, says Angela, but I've recently found it to be a place I can contact other like-minded people. I avoided the weirdos and never get into spats with people who are looking for a fight. If it's used sensibly, it can inform and support I also take your point about it being a part of the control system we are subjected to. Truthfully, I'd rather have someone by my side to share thoughts with, says Angela. Thank you, Angela. Thank you very much. Yes, that's an interesting take on, on the social media. Once you know where we are, as Angela has eloquently said there, once you know where we are and what's going on, yes, you can use it, no doubt, to... Um, to engage with people, like-minded, while you are allowed to do that. Alan says, Richie, thanks, I was just thinking about Minority Report, but I couldn't remember the title. It is, as you said, 
But are we all being led down paths? Think so. Well, I, I, I can't see any other reason for the, for the birth of, the endurance of, and the hegemony of social media. The only reason, the only, the, I can only see one, there's only one legitimate, as far as I'm concerned anyway, purpose for it. And that is to get everybody in the same place. Billions of users are using Twitter and Facebook and the other social media companies. And even though people might get a bit pissed off with the censorship, you see, the problem is, Alan, they won't have anywhere else to go. And I know you're going to say Telegram. I know you're going to say that. You're going to say one or two others as well. Forget about it. Forget about it. No chance. Yes, Telegram and one or two other companies will... Yes, they will, they, will, they will get some overspill. Of course they will. But they'll never take on Facebook or Twitter. And that's the problem you have, you know? That's the problem. Okay, let's um, scroll on down. Hi to Paul. How you doing, Paul? Hi to Craig. He says, just like in Australia, protesters getting arrested, released on bail with no charges. But because they have been arrested, any further arrest can send them straight to prison for violating bail conditions. I think Pretty Patel said something about six months in prison for these people, just call them people for now, who glue themselves to roads and back up traffic and cause the sort of disruption we've seen in the last couple of weeks, no doubt about that. Hi to Ewan Cooper. He says, insulate Britain, etc. are useful idiots. Yes. Hi to Emma. She calls them Black Lives Matter of the Greenies. Hi to Ian, who says that insulate are stooges just like Extinction Rebellion to enable laws to be passed to stop any and every future legitimate Protest, i.e. vaccine passports. That's what I think. That's what I think. And Horace, how you doing Horace? He says, Richie, funny you're talking about these eco-warriors. In my job, I met a guy who believes the world was going to end to the extent that he went out, stole a car, kidnapped a woman and killed a man. You're kidding me. Really? He believed that the world was going to end so much so he stole a car, kidnapped a woman and killed a man. Was he trying to go to hell? That's a bit mad. Hi to John Stott, who says the insulate Britain thing has a whiff of manufactured theatre about it. It seems off to me. Problem, reaction, solution, maybe? I would agree, John. I would definitely agree with that. But I think there's another cliche. At the coal face. The activists themselves, many of them believe it. Why, why, why do... I wonder why so many of my listeners can't except that it's possible that the activists themselves are completely sincere in their beliefs. Why can't you accept the possibility of that? I don't understand it. It makes perfect sense to me. If I was a baddie, and as my pal in Ireland often says, if we were baddies, we would be better than the baddies because we are far brighter. If I was a baddie, that's what I would do. I would indoctrinate people. I would scare the living shite out of them to the point where they totally believe the world is coming to an end because of the climate change. Better that than try and get people to act it out, you know. But that's just my opinion. I know that crisis actors are a real thing. I know this. I believe it, I should say. 
I believe it. We've seen it at certain so-called terrorist events. We've seen very suspicious people doing very suspicious things. And if, if you've been with the Richie Allen Show long enough, you'll know that five years ago, I interviewed a guy who, who had acted as a crisis actor. He came out and he said, I worked for an agency in Hollywood, he told me. And he was um, invited. It wasn't the Boston Marathon thing. It was way before that. I must look into that. Because a guy came on with me to tell me that he'd been a crisis actor. Or else he worked with... Ah, that's what it is. I had a guy on the programme some years ago. He was an extra on one of the Terminator films. And he worked with a guy who was an extra on that film also. And that guy went on to be a crisis actor in one of the so-called terrorist events. So I totally accept the concept, right? But I don't accept that the Extinction Rebellion people and the Insulate Britain people, that they're all fakers. I just It's just bollocks to me. But you can't prove a negative, right? So your opinion is your opinion, mine is mine. They believe it. Jesus, they've been, it, it's been beaten into their brains. And they're doing it to children now. It's coming up for six o'clock on Tuesday. On Tuesday's Richie Allen show. Let's. Uh, Christine Smith says, I don't always agree with Julia Hartley Brewer, but I'm right with her on this. Liam Norton is an Egypt. Yeah, but I think he's a sincere Egypt. That's the problem. I think he believes it. I think he believes it. I think he believes it. But that's just me. Misogyny. Hate crime. That's another thing that's been talked about quite a bit today. Misogyny and hate crime. Again, you'll know Sarah Everard was murdered in March by a serving police officer. We are being told, we are being told that the streets of Britain are in effect a war zone for Britain's women. That they are a no-go area. Don't believe me? Check out the likes of Jess Phillips, the Birmingham Yardley MP. Check out Stella Creasy, Walthamstow MP. Check out any feminist group. It's insane. Despite the fact that I've proven on this programme that while women being attacked is something that does happen from time to time, while women getting their heads kicked in by their husbands or boyfriend is something that does go on. It's always gone on. It isn't going on any more today than it was 5, 10 or 15 years ago. In fact, some incidences are coming down. But we're being told that women are in mortal danger on the streets. What is that doing to children in primary schools? Jesus, Mary and Holy St. Joseph. What is going on with children in primary schools in this country? Can you imagine how terrified children are? With the COVID scaremongering. I heard a head teacher talking today about children being sent home again. And it's happening again at a rate of, of knots. Children being told to take two antigen tests a week. Two COVID tests a week. Children being told that they should have a vaccine to save granny and granddad. Children being told that the climate change is going to cause the earth to collapse in on itself in years to come. They're being told, the children are being told that women are in mortal danger on the streets from men. Young boys are being told that. Young boys are being told that 
that the very nature of their sex, their biological sex, makes them potentially a devastating threat to women. What the fuck is going on? Terrorising children. We never had to put up with that. I went to Nave Sloan Ahore in Bolyabyog, that's St. Saviour's Primary School. We never had to deal with that shit. As children, we did lessons outside. We learned to read and write Osquelga in Irish. We learned to read and write in English. And we learned basic mathematics. We did lots of story time. We did lots of play time where we would invent, as groups of children, we would invent little plays. We were outside, we had a nature table. We took lots and lots of trips. I was in a co-ed primary school and I was in a co-ed secondary school, which was good for me. Boys and girls, boys and girls. There was no fucking COVID scaremongering. There was no climate scaremongering. We weren't told as young boys that we were dirty and predatory and that we were a threat to women. The young girls weren't told that you're in mortal danger when you go outside. The fuck are they doing to children? This is genuine outrage. What are they doing? And this idiot Johnson was on BBC Breakfast this morning and he was asked about making misogyny a hate crime. Jesus wept. The way the police and the whole criminal justice system handles crimes of, of violence against women is just not working. And uh, there are an awful lot of things that you need to do. And um, so I think that the, the anger over Sarah Everard's murder is a symptom of that wider frustration that people feel. So, so what you need to do, so on you talking about yeah. m- m- misogyny and, 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 and uh, the attitudes well, of the police. Do you think they should do what, what's happening in, in Nottingham? Because they, they, they are logging catcalling and wolf, list, wolf whistling as a misogynistic hate so, crime. So, so that, I just can't get back Do you think that, that's right? I want to get back to my, my key point. I think rather than in expanding the, the, the range of crimes that we, we want to prosecute for, you need to prosecute the existing crimes. I'm sorry, I'm saying that what we, there must be radical change in what we do. But you're saying, no, not. sorry, what you're, what you're saying is that you want to, you want to widen the scope of the, of the, of, uh, of, of the crimes. Talk about behaviour of to, men to, towards women. Right. What I'm saying is there is abundant statute uh, that is not being properly enforced. And that's what we need to focus on. And I'm talking about uh, domestic violence. I'm talking about rape. I'm talking about harassment, and there's plenty of law about harassment, and it's not being properly enforced. And that is what the police need to be doing. And they need to be taking women's complaints seriously, and we need to be contracting that period between a woman reporting her complaint and the, the disposal in court, because it's taking far too long. And that is why women feel betrayed by the system at the moment. That is the problem. Yeah. They're really discussing, outlawing, wolf whistling by making it a misogynistic hate crime and turning women into victims it's it's astonishing stuff this isn't it so that a guy will end up in court and he will be convicted of wolf whistling and the judge will take the woman's word for it that the wolf whistling was aggravated by his tendency towards misogyny and will add an extra layer of punishment onto whatever sentence is meted out. Presumably, it'll be community service for the wolf whistler 
and probably some compulsion to attend some programme where he'll be re-educated about how he should behave around women. I meant what I said. Is there any way to prevent children being exposed to this? The COVID scaremongering. Isn't it funny? While I'm having my mini rant a moment ago, the BBC has just published a story that says, wait for it, fears of contracting COVID-19 have resulted in parents keeping their children off school. Some parents with underlying conditions said they were concerned that there was insufficient measures in place to stop the virus from spreading. A survey by the National Association of Head Teachers found that 48% of schools have reported lower attendance than usual. Than usual. Mum and Dad saying, I'm vulnerable, so I'll keep my child from going to school because I don't want my child going to school and picking up a bug and bringing it back and giving it to me, the vulnerable parent. Do these people have any inkling of the psychological damage they are doing to their children? By filling their heads with this anti-scientific fucking garbage. Have they any idea what it is doing to them? And you know, I know the answer is no. They don't have any idea. Because if they did, they wouldn't do it. If they had any idea that the things their children were being exposed to, the lies, the fear, they wouldn't tolerate it. But I suppose the problem is, they just don't know. This is... Your Richie Allen Radio Show. I'll leave this segment with this. This is a little monologue from a Sky Australia presenter called Alan Jones, I believe. Now, he's on Sky in Australia. It is Sky. It is Murdoch. I'm sure the guy's an arsehole. Tell me if you want. I don't mind. But this is his take on destroying the minds of children, Alan Jones. This was recorded back in June. We have learnt that vulnerable students have fallen through the cracks over coronavirus. We've been told that schools don't have a proper review process to prevent a frightening term, suicide clusters. Young people are constantly comparing themselves to others on social media and suffering mental health problems as a result. Now another lockdown in Victoria, orchestrated by an ignorant and uncaring government, have ignored the statistics that teenage suicides surged during last year's lockdowns. Mental health experts ignored by government have warned of the devastating effect that lockdowns have had on young people. Those experts are ignored. How has this crisis accelerated at this point? Well, I'll give you two blunt answers. The first is an appalling absence of political leadership. I'll come to that in a moment. But young people are being confronted by uninformed, disinformed, illiterate, and often innumerate protest leaders urging young people to march for causes they don't understand, based on arguments that can't be proven, and trading on fear which is destructive. I've argued for some time about the crisis in Western political leadership. Why have leaders in the Western world given international exposure to the uninformed and disinformed utterances of Greta Thunberg? She's now 18. She calls herself an environmental activist. She started at 15 raving, and that's the appropriate word, about climate change mitigation. She's never been challenged on the rubbish she utters. But the publicity she gets leads young people to believe her. And paroxysms of fear and hopelessness overwhelm these young people because no political leader stands their ground to dismantle this emotional, ill-informed rubbish. Now, listen to this. At the United Nations Climate Action Summit in New York in 2019, 
Now, 2019 is significant. Two years ago, and this dishonest, alarmist rubbish is now seeing its manifestation in massive emotional and psychological instability in our young people. Yeah, it is. No doubt about that. 11 minutes past six. You're Richie Allen Show. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Gladys Knight then on your Richie Allen Show, Midnight Train to Georgia. Lots more to come between now and the end of the programme. Good to be with you this Tuesday. Gladys Knight there, Midnight Train to Georgia on your Richie Allen Show. It's me, the BBG, 14 minutes past six it is, Tuesday the 5th of October 2021. Hi to Christine Walsh, how you doing? Christine, do you quit? Richie Leem from Insulate Britain is mad. He really believes what he is saying, says Christine, and that is sad. I pray you get even three minutes with these Nut jobs, she writes. He sounds as bad as the bin man who spoke about the rain bucketing down in Scotland, yeah. You're born and bred in Glasgow and you've noticed the weather changing. The rain seems to be getting heavier. Sometimes you get up in the morning and there's bucketing it down. That's it. That, that, that's the ultimate proof that man-made climate change is real. Some mornings you get up and it's just bucketing it down. And if you ever needed any proof, that's it. Footballers apparently don't want a COVID jab. They don't want one. They just don't. Or large numbers of them don't seem to want a jab. Here is Liverpool's manager. That's Liverpool Football Club. They've got a German manager. His name is Jurgen Klopp. Here he is speaking last weekend. He doesn't understand why the foosballers won't just have the jab. Don't take the vaccination only to protect me. I I take the vaccination to protect all the people around me. And I don't understand where that is a a, a limitation of freedom. Because if it is, then not being allowed to drink and drive is a limitation of freedom as well. But we accept that. I, I might be really a bit naive, but I don't understand it. He might be a bit naive. He doesn't understand it. Yeah, I think Jürgen should go and listen to some craft work. Yeah, and piss off. Mind your own business about what people choose to take in their bodies and don't choose to take or put in their bodies. But it's a big deal, this story. Let me tell you about a guy called Dr. Wes Tenzel. Wes Tenzel is the club doctor for Rochdale Football Club, which is not too far from Salford. Now, Rochdale, like Salford, plays in League Two, which is the fourth tier of the English Football League professional foosball. He was on the BBC this morning and he said that potentially less than 20% of EFL players have been vaccinated against COVID. Now, there are 72 clubs in the EFL and they have been audited, the clubs, by the league. And this guy has seen the figures and he said to Burden, Rachel Burden on BBC Radio 5, he said, I won't give you the exact numbers right now. Must be embargoed, I don't know. But he said that potentially less than 20% of the footballers have had a jab. So, of course, the question is, why? What did Dr. West Tenzel say? I think um, one of the other reasons was um, the social media, the anti-vax stuff that's been banded about and that does get passed around the changing room and it's 
you know, football change rooms are different to most other workplaces. The place they're all together. Um, they, it's an echo chamber. So if one of the senior players or one of the maybe an influential person has seen something on social media and that's passed to somebody else, they're not necessarily likely to critically appraise where that's come from. And you can end up going down a rabbit hole. You can spend two hours from one video to another due to the algorithms on social media. And the next thing you know, you believe that the earth's flat. So it's just... It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are, is there any excuse for this? Or are you slightly tearing your hair out? Is there any excuse, she said. How about mind your own effing business? How about that for an excuse? If they don't want to take it, they shouldn't take it. They're some of the fittest men in the country. They're all very young. COVID is probably not going to even brush them. Why would they want to be jabbed against it? Especially when the manufacturers admit that the jabs don't stop you getting it. All a bit mad. Is Dr. Wes tearing his hair out? Um, no, I mean, everyone has free choice. And to be honest, I, if I was to get frustrated with these sort of things all the time, I, I, you know, I'd be um, very down and in the down in the dumps and not happy. And this is their choice. I can give them the advice. The advice is out there. It's on the NHS websites. All the information is there. There's only so much you can do. If they want to ask me about the stuff they've seen on social media or they've heard, I'm happy to then maybe give them some other information. But there's an element of cognitive dissonance where if you if they believe it, and this is not just football, this is the general population, they want to just believe that information and they, they're not necessarily open to other facts. But he will be there to educate them if they come and ask him about the stuff they're seeing on social media, even though he's completely unqualified to do that as a general practitioner. You know? I've heard, Dr. Wes, that these jabs are experimental and that they're not really vaccines, says the centre forward. What's Wes going to do? Lie? lie through his teeth and say, oh no, don't worry about it, they are safe and they're not experimental. Because that's bullshit. They're not safe and they are experimental. He's a GP, he probably has more understanding of the technical makeup of vaccines than I do because I never went to medical school. But he knows nothing about what these jabs are doing and, and what they're not doing. He says they should go to the NHS website. Well, by... Going by the NHS website, as I've already said, I think. Jabs don't stop you getting it, don't stop you transmitting it, so why would I want one then? Wow. Burden, the presenter, then wanted to know if the footballers are a little bit sick. Do you think that, um, I don't know how to put this, that there is, without sounding really patronising, but that footballers more easily believe the kind of anti-vax messaging? Is there a lack of sophistication in thought? Oh, Jesus. There? No. Oh, there's, there's plenty of very intelligent, well-spoken players um, at Rochdale. Um, I, I wouldn't... I mean, it may be more the age group, so I, wouldn't, I would not say just footballers. There may be 20-odd-year-olds... Um, in the general population, who are more swayed by um, what they hear on social media and anti-vax and may not be able to think for themselves as well as uh, you may want them to. But I wouldn't say footballers are, are like that across the board. I don't think that's fair. Hard to believe that in this era of trial by social media, when people get piled in on and their heads are called for, 
Hard to believe that Rachel Burden got away with that today. I'm glad she got away with it, because I don't want to see anybody deplatformed because they say something that's offensive. And of course, offence is a subjective thing. You choose to be offended. If I played football, I would have just laughed out loud at Burden. You know, aren't they a bit dim, a little bit less sophisticated in the footballers, and that's why they don't understand that they need to have the vaccines? Said Rachel Burden there. It's just relentless, this, isn't it? The footballers don't want to have it. A lot of tennis players don't want to have it. Novak Djokovic is heading for a collision with the, 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 the world's tennis authority, which is the ATP. I think it's the ATP because, as I mentioned on Sunday View, Sunday View, do you hear me? On Sunday Morning Melodies, on Sunday, didn't I mention, I think I mentioned it, they will go to Melbourne in January to play the first Grand Slam of the year, the Australian Open. Djokovic, I think, has won it more than any other man in history. And I know he's beaten Andy Murray in several of those finals. And I'm an Andy Murray enthusiast. Fan would be a big word, right? So Djokovic is, as I understand it, refusing absolutely no chance will I have one of these jabs. And they're saying, the Australians are saying, they have said it, anybody refusing to be jabbed won't be playing. This is going to get fascinating now in the coming weeks. Are you a cricket fan? You want, Rich, are you a cricket fan? Channeling my inner gay burn there. Are you, I'm a cricket fan. I'm an, a cricket addict. Can't get enough of it. Test cricket more than T20 cricket or one day love test cricket. It's my favourite way to relax. Watch it live on the TV or listen to the TMS, the Test Match Special, which is some of the best radio broadcasting in the world ever. Take my word for it. Love my cricket. Now, this winter, England are supposed to tour Australia to play the Ashes series. Five test matches. It's massive. It's wonderful. It's exciting. And it's a pain in the arse when it's in Australia because it's on at stupid o'clock in the morning. Anyway, some of the England players have yet to confirm that they will be getting on the plane because their families are not allowed to travel with them and... Because it'll be misery incarnate for the cricketers when they get to Australia. They'll be followed around. They'll be tested every other minute of the day. They'll be in bubbles and told that they can't meet this person and that person. And all of this crap. It's basically a six to eight week series. The five tests take place over probably three or four weeks probably, but they play warm-up games before the test. They're probably in Australia for eight weeks. And understandably, the England cricket captain, Joe Root, is thinking, maybe I don't want to fook and go to this thing. The pressure that will be brought to bear on people in the public eye, like sportsmen and women. And I am totally unsurprised that seemingly so many sportsmen and women have said, fuck off the jab and that won't be tolerated that won't be tolerated that's a problem you see for those who would jab everybody with two COVID jabs and then a third and then one next spring and then one next September not to mention all the other new jabs 
that will come in, not just for COVID variants now, but new jabs for new illnesses and, and jabs to deal with old illnesses. It'll be jabs and jabs and jabs and jabs. They can't and won't tolerate football players, tennis stars, Olympians saying no thank you. The England manager Gareth Southgate has weighed in on this. Then he wished that he hadn't. He wished that he kept his mouth shut because a lot of England players haven't had it. What have we got coming up in 2022 in Bente Bente Dos? We have the World Cup in Qatar. The Qataris have said, if you haven't got a vax, you ain't playing in the tournament. This is going to be huge, this. Watch this one closely. What, what would I like to see? What would I like to see? I'd like to see the sportsmen and women hold their nerve. Be like that poor doctor that we heard from earlier on because of Spiro. Dr. Christopher Rake, anesthesiologist, professor of medicine, who was frog-marched out of his fucking university today because he will not have a jab that he does not need. And I hope that our footballers, our cricketers, and I know if the fact you listen to this programme, you look at cricket, you look at sport, you look at sport as bread and circuses. Yes, you are absolutely right. Feed them and give them circuses. Bread and circuses. Fill up their minds with trivial things. Yes, I know, we've discussed this for years. But football and sports are not just bread and circuses. Yes, they are up to a point, but they've also been brilliant for socialising, for meeting people. Many, many a movement began on the terraces of, of, of the world's football grounds. If you don't believe me, look at Latin American history. Italy, Spain, England. Congregating. Why do you think they want people watching football at home? Why do you think they want them subscribing to five, six, seven different fucking sports channels to get their football? I don't want to lose my train of thought here now. So yeah, you can be anti-sport and say, oh, it was just like the Romans, bread and circuses. Yes, up to a point, but a lot of good comes out of it too. I want these men and women to hold their nerve and not bow to it. And I don't want them to do any backroom deals either where they pretend to get it. You know what I'm saying? Where the establishment does pulls a dirty trick and says to Novak Djokovic, hey Novak, we know you don't want to take it. Can you pretend you had it? Please. And we'll just let you, we'll let you off. But we want everybody else to take it. So I don't want to see any of that nonsense either. Yeah. Because this winter, they're already talking about it. It's come in in Scotland. That little bastard Jimmy Cranky. That tyrant. It's already in in Scotland. It came in last Friday. Vaccine passports came in last Friday in Scotland. They will begin enforcing that stuff in 10 days time. In Scotland, you can't go to a game. Outdoors. You can't go and watch a football team now. You can't go to the cinema, you can't go to the theatre unless you show a bit of paper or show your phone to say that you've been jabbed. And the football clubs of, of England have given notice to their fans that they expect to be asking their fans to show similar proof of vaccination to go and watch the games once we get into the winter. This has to stop. So I want our sportsmen and women to show some balls and stand up to it. 
This is Seal. Flying solo today, the BBG with you probably till 7 o'clock. I think we'll probably make it. Probably. Probably. Thanks for all the messages. Hundreds of messages come in every show through the website richieallen.co.uk. Comment live on the menu bar. Thanks for doing that. It's worked out quite well, hasn't it, after the Twitter banning. It's doing well. It was the brainchild of my great pal Hayden Hewitt. Hi to Linda, who says, Richie, the MSM, the mainstream media, seems to have an obsession with the deleterious effects of social media in terms of dangerous dissemination of misinformation. The irony being that no right-thinking individual would base any credible research upon platforms who peddle pictures of what people had for dinner, where they went on holiday, and cat pictures. Other sources of information are available, at least for now, says Linda. That's a pretty clever comment, Linda. I agree with you. Julie says, Richie, at the end of the day, this is about depopulation. This crap is about depopulation. They've started now, and it's now or never. It's all gone too far for the ruling elite to ever back down. They are murdering bastards who will stop at nothing, says Julie. And then sent me five emojis with hearts. (laughs) Thanks, Julie. (laughs) This is the era of the emoji. Listen, mea culpa, I do send the occasional emoji via text message myself. Yes, hi to Don. How you doing, Don? Don says the grand solar minimum intensification will cause widespread crop failure. How do you know that, Don? How do you know that the grand solar minimum and the intensification of it will cause widespread crop failure? Who told you that? David Dubain told you. The Ice Age farmer told you. Ah, right, okay. Good, at least you're citing a source. Thank you. It could be argued or it has been argued by people, that there will be a grand solar minimum in the next decade, which will pour cold piss all over the climate change bollocks. (laughs) It'll get very cold for a bit. I interviewed a woman called Valentina Zharkova from a UK university about this, and she's convinced of it. She's a mathematician. I just hope that some of you When you leave messages on richieallen.co.uk, I hope that you don't speak to people in the same way that you leave messages on my website. Not because I'm offended in any way, because you're not doing anything that would cause me any offence, but I, I hope that you will begin to learn that saying to people, the grand solar minimum intensification will cause widespread crop failure. Got to do a bit better than that. Just a little bit. I think. This is a bugbear with me. I've had this out with many people. This is a bugbear. Can't bash people over the head and talk about grand solar minimums and depopulation. Their eyes will glaze over and they will move on. They might still stand in front of you and nod... You think you're getting somewhere, but their brain has checked out. They're on cuckoo land, thinking about how they can get away from you. Do consider that, especially now, as things are getting very serious. 
Patricia says, and then there are people who tell me to shut up and mind your own business. I will speak to people how I feel like I should speak to people. And we're at, uh, we're at Event Horizon now, Richie. We're, we're at Ground Zero. The time is now. And to hell with these people if they don't get it. We'll just leave them behind then. I get a lot of that too, you see. But that's not my preferred approach. My preferred approach is not to shout at people about depopulations and say, well, to hell with them if they don't listen to me, I'll just leave them behind. Don't think we can afford to do that. But that's just my opinion. Remember, it's opinions. Don't melt down. Don't melt down. Albert says, Richie, Switzerland has got vaccine passports for trains, restaurants, libraries, etc. My pal Patricia Brownsfiler is listening to this. Patricia, have you experienced that? Do you need the vaccine passport to get on the train, just like Albert said? Let me know. Uh, Patricia says, anyone who has not noticed that psychopaths are running the asylum, well, they've not been paying attention. To any person who has the courage to step out of that control system, respect. I agree. But you can't step out of a control system, and I think you know this anyway, Patricia, unless you are aware that you're in one. And I said this a lot recently. I remember being in that control system. Remember, you're chatting this afternoon with the gammon that told people that Osama bin Laden in Donald Rumsfeld's super cave in the Tora Bora Mountains of Afghanistan that he engineered the flying of planes into the World Trade Center towers, the Pentagon, and the one that was brought down by the Let's Roll crew. That was horseshit. Oh, that was beautiful. That wasn't a whopper. That was a double whopper with extra salad, a few more gherkins, a little bit of bacon, extra large fries, and a bucket of milkshake. But I told people that. Because I believed it briefly. At some stage or another, we were all in that control system. I think. We must have been. Christine says to me on the website, Richie, I've always been a bit critical of footballers. But if they hold their nerve on this, I'll be all for them. Thanks, Christine. What I was very interested in over the weekend was how some of the tabloids attempted to blame the wags, the wives and girlfriends. They wanted to blame the wives and girlfriends. The very well-maintained, very well-put-together young ladies that you see with the footballers when they step out on the town. Apparently these women are not just tits and arse. No, they've got brains. And they're on the, they're on the case of the scamdemic. They know all about the experimental nature of the poison jabs, these footballers' wives. And apparently some of them are directly responsible for the young men having a second look at whether they need to take the jab or not. Very good. The wags. We used to laugh at the wags. I, we would go out in town, in Manchester, the future Mrs A, El Frogo Tremendo and myself, and there's a couple of restaurants we liked eating in at lunchtime because they had, they had specials on so that lowlifes like me could afford to eat in them. £22 for three courses in a five-star restaurant. Or a Michelin star restaurant. Because how else could you get in there? Unless they have a special on, right? If you're in Manchester, you'll know the two restaurants I'm talking about. So all the poor people go in there at lunchtimes. And get the lunchtime menu. But you get good food. 
But often you'd be in there and you'd see some of these foosballers and they're very well put together women caked in makeup, wearing 17-inch heels on their sandals. But apparently there's more to these women than their big tits and arses and their 17-inch sandals and their lipstick. Apparently some of them know they shouldn't be taking the COVID jab. Caroline Feely says, Richie, I'm so glad to hear this about the sports people. I hope they do not back down. And Colin, who's in Kerry, says, well, they won't. They are professional athletes. They don't want to poison their bodies. Yes, Colin is onto something there because I did read in one of the papers over the last couple of days that some of these footballers are concerned about side effects. And if they are brought low by a side effect, they might miss training. If they miss training, they might miss a game. And they might miss win bonuses and appearance fees and all that sort of stuff. There you are. Faisal says, when are cricketers going to stop having test matches and have a proper one? The old ones are the best ones. Funnily enough, Faisal, Michael Holding, the legendary West Indies fast bowler, who I love listening to, Michael, but he recently retired from broadcasting. Wonderful guy to listen to Michael Holding. He has been scathing in his condemnation of the England players for not travelling to Pakistan recently. The England team cancelled their tour of Pakistan and they cited the inconvenience of being put in bubbles and it being a miserable existence as their reason Michael Holding is not having it. He's not happy at all. But anyway, that's a story. For another day, richieallen.co.uk. My website, top of the page, comment live. Send me a comment. Do it now. Do it now. Let me refresh that. While I refresh it, I'll tell you what. While I refresh it, let's have a little bit of Glen Campbell then. And then I'll read some more of your comments then. It's an easy listen, an easier Richie Allen show today. Not for me, it wasn't. It's time. Sometimes you hear a lyric in a song and it grabs you, doesn't it? Or you think, what poetry, what beautiful genius. Did you hear that line in that song there, Gentle on My Mind by Glenn Campbell? Did you hear it? I dip my cup of soup back from a gurgling, crackling cauldron in some train yard. Isn't that just beautiful? Isn't that an understanding of language, isn't it? I dip my cup of soup back from a gurgling, crackling cauldron in some train yard. It brings you right there, doesn't it? Does me, anyway. That's me. This isn't Sunday Morning Melodies, by the way. Pandora says, Richie, lovely show thus far. Thank you, Pandora. Thank you. I've caught most of it from a freezing Stockport pub garden where I've had you blazing as free advertising. Thanks again, Pandora. She agrees with me. The problem in all attempts to nudge people towards the truth is the truther says Pandora. You cannot ram facts at people, merely awaken them to their own choice of total cognitive dissonance over obvious bullshit they are fed daily. Only when they realise they may be being duped do they choose to investigate themselves as to what's going on and why and how. Then they come running, says Pandora. Amen, sister. I totally believe that. I, I absolutely believe that to be true. That you do your thing 
and you'll have friends, and you'll have family who might think you're a bit of an idiot. They might think you fell down some you fell down some drain somewhere and came up with a conspir- with, with a tinfoil hat on your head. You've gone mad. You've left the reservation and you're into all sorts of mad stuff. The best thing to do there, in my opinion, if you love the person, if they mean anything to you, because really most of us can count on one or maybe two hands as to the people that mean anything to us. In your personal lives. For me, it's about one hand, sadly. No, it's two. It's probably two hands of people who really mean to me. You know, people whose opinions I value. So if somebody else thinks I'm a bit of an idiot, fair enough. Doesn't matter. If your family or if your friends think you've left the reservation, love them anyway, and you do what you do. Talk about what you talk about with people who do understand it. Do your bit of activism, whatever. I agree with Pandora. They will eventually come to you. Much more of a chance of achieving it that way than constantly berating them about their choice to have the jab or why they wear a mask or why they have agreed to work from home or whatever. I really do believe that. You know, I've witnessed it over the years up close and personal. I've watched them. I'm an observer of people, a student of human moves, as Paul as the great Paul Newman once said in a movie with Tom Cruise, I'm a student of human moves. I see people behave like that. I see them in my local park and I see people's eyes glaze over. You can't do it that way. You know, but um, I know there's a sense of urgency too. I, I totally get that. I know that some of you are screaming at me. Ah, Richie, you know, what are we going to do then? Listen, fair enough. I'm giving it I'm giving it to you as I see it. Ron says, take me back to the 1960s. Life was fun. We felt free, even if we were not. And we did not have to be interested in politics. Thanks, Ron. Martin says, I think aluminium will destroy crops. That's a a shrewd point, uh, Martin. Geoengineering is a real thing. Again, this is something I know. It is a real thing. We, we we use the term chemtrails to, des- to describe it. We know it goes on, the dumping of heavy metals in the atmosphere, the toxicity of those metals, the the impact those metals have on the ecosystem, on bees, it's all true, causing abiotic stress in the land. Absolutely, Martin, these are real agendas. But again, you're back to, if I'm out and about with somebody, maybe having a beer in a beer garden, what do you do? I'm, I'm a journalist. Or I'm not. In many cases, I never say that. I just say, ah, oh, I do bits and pieces. Fair enough. If I start talking about chemtrails, eyes glaze over, forget about it. But I hear you. Hi to Philippa. Philippa, I have covered the, the Medazalam issue extensively, with not only with Jackie Devoy, but also with others, including people who believe that their loved ones were basically eased out or murdered is another way of putting it by being by having 
midazolam administered. I have covered it. And by the way, Jackie was in touch with me. I meant to mention this yesterday. God forgive me for not mentioning it. Mentioning it. You know Jackie Devi is a terrific writer. And her byline has appeared in nearly every newspaper in the country. And she's an old pal of mine from London. Jackie was on with us last year talking about how she liberated her father, John, from the nursing home, from the care home where he was staying because she feared for him. And she took him home and she got him set up with a carer. And thank God she did. But sadly, John passed away, not Friday, just gone, but the previous uh, Friday, God love him. Or yesterday, Garev, uh, on him. And I did send, obviously, my best wishes to Jackie. Um... For John, so yeah. So I have, Philip, I have covered that and um, I'm, I'm sure I will cover that issue again. Hi to David Keane, who says, thanks for sticking it out till seven. Yeah, I've had plenty of content today, plenty of content. Just to let you know, I was speaking to Jean Ann about this this morning. My sanity is important to me. And one of the things I won't be doing going forward, to use a very corporate term, going forward, moving forward, what I won't be doing is I won't be interviewing people to tell us the things we already know over and over again. And the reason I won't be doing that is because it will result in me throwing my, not throwing my ties out of the pram, but throwing myself out of the studio window. I can't cope with that. This is a more difficult show for me to produce because there's so much content. It's easier to interview somebody. It's an easier day, if you understand. There's still a lot of research, but it's not as intense. Today, filling this programme with content, with audio, with information, it takes hours. I've been at it since six o'clock this morning, and I will continue later on. But it suits me at the moment to do that. To have a magazine, drive time type programme, where we have a chat. I've got loads of content. Read your comments. It suits me to do this a little bit more often. Now, tomorrow I'll probably have guests. Pretty sure I will have. Probably Thursday. But increasingly, I'll be doing this for my own sanity. It'll be two hours most of the time. It'll be Monday to Thursday. But I'll maintain some modicum of sanity. And I think you'll... In fact, I know you'll appreciate that. I don't know how any of us have managed it. Talking about this issue mostly for the last 18 months. I've been producing a radio show for 18 months, essentially covering one topic, and it nearly killed me last November. And I tell you, sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult. But I'll shape the show in such a way that it will not be any less interesting for you. It will never be dull. You'll always find something interesting in it. It will be entertaining. I promise you it'll be entertaining. And I will always be here for us to chat at five o'clock Monday to Thursday. And we will always do a phone-in every two weeks. But sometimes I won't have guests on because I just can't hear the same shit told to me by somebody who I had on some weeks ago or by somebody who's going to tell me something that we were told last week. I can't do that. But, it, but otherwise the show isn't changing. I'll be here with you every day for two hours. And we'll have Sunday morning melodies on Sunday. Okay? It'll never be dull. Never. I don't think it's ever been dull. I've never been one to send myself flowers or blow my own trumpet. Never. I take the piss with the saviour of the independent media stuff. That's, that's an homage to, 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 to Chris Miles. That's an homage to an old radio jingle 
years ago where a presenter said that he was the saviour of the BBC. It's a joke. I don't see myself as the saviour of anything. It's just a joke. It's an in-joke, basically. I do sometimes see myself as showing, showing an example of how to produce radio to would-be independent content creators. That is true. Yes, I, I am. I should be an example to others who want to make radio programmes as to how to do it technically. So in that sense, I suppose I could argue I'm a saviour. But that's a joke. The programme won't change very much, except some days you won't have guests. I could have said that in two seconds. And it'll just be me and you having a chat with lots and lots of content, audio, stories, some tunes, your comments, phone-ins. That's how it's going to be. Yeah, you get me, you get me. Thanks for being there with me today. I've enjoyed your company. And this tune is very apt for the times we live in. It's called Waiting on a Sunny Day. Played this on Sunday Morning Melodies a few weeks back and some of you went crazy for it. It's an old Bruce Springsteen song. Waiting on a sunny day indeed to carry ourselves among another. Adios, bye bye, auf Wiedersehen.